Well, good morning, Mission Church. Good morning, Mission Church. There you are. If you have your Bibles, please, and I trust that you do, open them now to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 5. And as you turn there, please allow me to pray. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for that which we've had the privilege to reflect upon already this morning. We thank you for the power of your presence. We thank you that your Holy Spirit indwells everyone who's trusted you as their Lord and Savior. And so, Father, now we would ask that your Holy Spirit uh, would be over these moments as well. Father, that you would teach, that you would instruct, that you would protect my mouth from saying that which anything that would be unbecoming or not appropriate to this particular text. And then, God, would you then Prepare our ears and our hearts to receive that which you have for us today. God, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said, amen. 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 So we are week four. Week four in our series called Courageous Calling, Finding Our Strength in God. It's a story about the life of Moses. We said this, Moses was called, and in Moses' calling, we can see uh, the work of God even amongst our own lives, draw application. We called it this courageous calling. The word calling, as you've heard week after week, is the word kaleo. It means to be authoritatively summonsed. And so opening question for you this week is, when is the last time you were authoritatively summonsed? Number one, how many of you use the word summons in your regular vocabulary throughout the week? All right? Not, not all that often are we saying, hey, I summoned thee, son, to come into the room. But nevertheless, when's the last time that with authority someone has called you to respond and come into their presence? Maybe, maybe it was a boss at work this past week. Perhaps, perhaps as in my house, uh, you men may have difficulty putting things away. No, I'm alone in this? Fine. But I can tell you on a somewhat regular basis, it is quite appropriate for my wife to summons me to clean up after myself. Amen. That was a male voice. Probably single. (laughs) So kidding, so kidding. I don't know who said it, but awesome. Your boss. Hey, how about this? Not that long ago, I got summons for jury duty. Once upon a time, way back when, a story I left out, I was once summons to take the witness stand. You see, when you put the word summons to this calling or to this authoritative coming to, it adds a measure of weight and authority to it, doesn't it? It also, with this word summons, adds a measure of integrity that's expected when you use the word summons. But now to the contrary, I kind of ask this. Have you ever been summonsed or called uh, just to find out that it wasn't what you thought it was? I mean, telemarketers, telepredators are so on this right now. Like, how many of you have gotten this voicemail? There is an urgent matter that demands your response immediately. Before we file bankruptcy on your dog or whatever it is, like, call this 1-800 number immediately soon, you know, that kind of thing. I've had this reoccurring uh, voicemail left on mine about an actual summons that I was supposed to be in court for, but it wasn't me. It wasn't my name. It was some strange woman. Boy, I feel bad for her. She's so in jail by now. (laughs) 
Some of, you, some of you remember some months ago that I apparently authoritatively summoned some of our small group leaders through email and said, hey, uh, I forgot my wallet and uh, I need you now to buy some gift cards and send me the, the, uh, the code on the front and the special security code on the back. Uh, thank you, this is a benevolent request and we'll pass these on to the folks who need it. Um, that was angering, to say the least. Have you ever been summoned only to realize that it wasn't what you thought it was? When I think about being summoned, I think about my childhood, actually. When I think about being authoritatively called into somebody's presence, I immediately think about my dad. All right? I don't know about you, but I'm from Altoona. I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods whenever you grow up, but like when dad spoke, like kids responded. Y'all with me on that? So like when, dad, when you heard dad's voice, like you stopped what you were doing immediately and you came to wherever dad was and you, you, you just did that. And so um, also being from Altoona, I want to say this, I had a great, I have a great father, a great father who loves me very much, but being from Altoona, kind of a blue collar place, um, uh, the way that um, my father, and maybe you can relate to this, the way he demonstrated his love for me always was attached with it a moderate amount of discomfort and annoyance. Anyone? So um, my father would send me for something if we were working together on a job, or often he would send me to go do something, and he would usually send me on a wild goose chase for something like a ladder straightener or a level bender, you know what I mean? And so as I was going to get whatever it is my father had summoned me for to go get, I would actually kind of make my way uh, to where I was going, and literally I had to at least be 20 yards away before my father would say, hey, Gerald, that's how he says Gerald, hey, Gerald, come back here. And so I'd walk back, and then my father would look at me, and he would smile, and he would say, how far would you have been if I had not called you back? This went on, friends, for years. And he would do it regularly, and he would do it to test me, and he would do it to love me, because usually when I would come back, he would then laugh, and then he would give me some kind of a somewhat uncomfortable bear hug or a noogie. You know what a noogie is? Come on. You got one of those? You see, over the course of time, every time Dad said that, I responded. Why? He's my dad. Why? Because I love my dad. Why? Because I know dad is the boss, right? Dad. But I got to admit, even when I would respond in obedience, it did finally become somewhat annoying. I don't know, somewhere around, let's say, 16. And I started coming because I had to. As I've gotten older, it's become somewhat of a joke now. And we laugh about it, and even we laugh then, obviously. But now it's somewhat of a joke, and even now, my dad may say my name as I'm walking away, and we will both turn around and smile. But now, being an adult, it's more of a, of a head nod, right? A respect, a response back. And I'm wondering this morning if some of you may have begun to trend toward responding to God's call in a similar way. The first time called, and you would, you would come, and you would come into his presence excited to hear what he was going to say. And then over the course of time, you've heard God's call, and somehow this, this marvelous call of God has somehow, somehow become to you a have to. 
That when you hear the call of God, you hear a list of do's and don'ts, those things that you must do. When you open up your Bible, you read it, and all you're seeing is the have-tos, the have-tos, and you come to church, and maybe what you're hearing week after week is the things that you have to do. Maybe some of you uh, have grown to a point where you're like, you know, I kind of got this God thing down, and when I hear God's call, uh, we're, we're now at a level where I can give a wink, and he kind of knows that I know that I understand what he's actually calling me to do. Check this. God never becomes our peer. When God calls, when he authoritatively summons, summons us, friends, what I want us to catch this morning is this. Our God doesn't call us as a joke. Our God does not call us and bring us merely to test us, although our God is one who tests us for our proving, not for our failing. Our God is not a God who calls you so that he can give you a spiritual noogie. Every time our God calls, every time our God speaks, he does so with a purpose and he does so with integrity. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, God who saved us has called us to a holy, to a perfect, to an integral calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages of the world. Every word that God speaks is a promise. And what I want you to catch this morning is this, that every one of the promises in God's word has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, we read this. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Paul speaking to the church, now Silvanus and Timothy and I, as we've spoken to you, this Jesus Christ was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we can utter our amen to God for his glory. In Jesus Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Say yes. Amen. Now say amen. amen. That's what Jesus Christ is to us. Yes. Yes and amen. And smarter men than me have unpacked this verse, so allow me to read this quote for you. You can follow along on the screen. John Piper wrote this, all the promises of God, all the promises of God for the good of his people focus in Christ. He confirms them and secures them and, as it were, purchases them for all who belong to him, for all who believe. You see, every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, what he hears is yes. Do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Yes. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes, I will. You see, all the promises of God and all the blessings of God in the heavenly places are yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus is God. 
And Jesus is God's decisive yes to us. Say amen. amen. And so friends, when God calls you, it is a purposeful calling. It is a purposeful promise. And so today we find our strength in God's promises. Say promise. When God speaks, when we receive Jesus, he's saying yes. God is saying, yes, I've created you. Yes, I have a purpose for you. Yes, you are my chosen child. So today we come to gain confidence in God's promises. If you're ready for this, just say yes and amen. All right, coming to the text, Exodus chapter 5. Even if you're new to Mission Church, you're probably familiar at least with the name Moses. If you're not, forgive me for that. Here's where we are in the story. Moses was born in the land of Egypt while, the, while his people were under oppression and slavery in captivity. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter in the midst of this edict for young boys to be put to death. His mom places him in a basket, lays him in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter finds him and takes him in. Moses then grows up in privilege. As he grows old, 40 years of age, he makes a huge mistake and he murders an Egyptian who is picking on a Hebrew. Moses then flees Egypt as a fugitive to the land of Midian where he settles down, finds a wife, if you will, has sons. God calls him from a burning bush and says, I'm going to use you to go back to Egypt and lead my people out of that land. We're at the point in the story where God has already graciously removed all of Moses' excuses. Moses now sees God as a holy, just, faithful, gracious, merciful God. God cleared the way. Moses at this point has received Jethro's blessing, his father-in-law's blessing to go. He's no longer a wanted man in Egypt for all those people who have passed. Moses' life has been purified. The sin has been cleansed from his life. Listen to last week. So everything that is necessary for Moses to do what God has called him to do has occurred. He even gathered together the elders of the land, and they heard that God spoke to him. They're like, come on, this is awesome. All right, got it, context. Pick up the text, chapter 5. It's time for Moses to act. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. Afterwards. After what? Chapter 4, verse 31. And the people believed... And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. When they realized that God's presence had come among them, when they realized after 400 years of silence that now God is spoken to them and he's going to redeem and restore them, they immediately dropped to their knees and they began to worship God. And the text says, after this, after they humbled themselves, essentially, after they prayed and worshiped God, after a body life service, you know that feeling that you get when you really have submitted yourself, you really have humbled yourself, you really have, in the most integral way that you can muster, come into the presence of God? Or rather, you humbled yourself that he welcomed you into his. And you prayed and you just knew that you knew that you knew that he heard. 
and you claimed the promise of God, and you, you walked out of that moment, and you just knew that you knew that God was going to show up. So after that happened, after that happened, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus says the Lord, good job, Moses, so far you're doing just as God said. You're not speaking, you're speaking the words of the Lord. So as the Lord says, let my people go, that they may hold a feast in the wilderness. Like how dramatic is this moment? Here comes Moses, kind of 80 years old, with a shepherd's staff, coming before the most powerful young man in the world, arguably. A man who can crush him with a word. Where does Moses find the strength to do this? Verse 3, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Where does Moses find the strength to come into the presence of a powerful man? He finds his strength in God's presence. He finds his strength in God's presence, and he's going to need God's strength for sure because look at, look at Pharaoh's response. Verse 2, but Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord? Who is this Lord you're speaking of that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. You see Pharaoh's response? It's a pretty familiar response if you actually think about it. First and foremost, he disregards the Lord. Who is this? Who is this that I should obey him? Then he denies the Lord. I don't know this God. And then he disobeys him, right? I'm not going to. No. Think about how often that slide happens in our lives. When you become tempted... Whether you know it or not, what you're actually saying is this. Who is this God that I should obey him? You know what? In this moment, I'm not even sure if I know the Lord. I'm just going to do what I want to do. It's hard to think that that's true of us, but when we speak with our actions so often, that is what's being proclaimed. No. And so if you're Moses, you're like, now what? Now what? How intense? How intense again is this moment? But he's finding his strength in the fact that God met with him. I love this word met because the word met here literally means to come near. God actually came to Moses. And I want you to stop and consider. Like God didn't text him. God didn't Snapchat him. God didn't even FaceTime him like God showed up. And how many times has God showed up already in this passage? He showed up in the burning bush for sure. That conversation lasts essentially two chapters. He shows up again when he goes back to talk with his father-in-law, right? And he says to, Jeff, he says to Moses, look, the coast is clear. He meets with him again. He meets with him again when he goes to confront his sin. 
When he cleanses him, God comes and he's got to invoke justice upon Moses, but there he is. When blood was shed, redemption was applied to Moses. God was present in that. God comes again. God comes again to Aaron and gives him his own personal calling as well. How crucial was each and every visit along the way? What I want you to capture is this. God just didn't come and then just kind of disappear. God didn't ghost Moses in this process. He came back and his presence was necessary each step of the way at those pivotal moments. Can you relate to this at all? Each and every visit, God's, God was clarifying Moses' calling. He was confronting when he needed to. He was confirming as necessary. Here was Moses' confidence and strength. When's the last time you met with God like this? Maybe some of you come from a tradition where this is news to you that you don't even know that you can meet with God. You were told that you had to go speak with somebody else who was able to talk to God. This morning, I want you to find your strength in God's calling by coming into God's presence. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 tells us that we have access in one spirit to the Father. Listen, we're no longer strangers or aliens to God. But we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the same household of God. You get it? We are one with the very people that God is saving in this passage. Just stop and think about that. The same affection, the same love, the same deliverance, the same rescuing that God was applying to Israel. This verse says we're part of them now. God loves us that much. We have access. Not only do we have access to him, he has come to us. If you've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, tell me where the Holy Spirit is present right now. Just show me. Just show me where is the Holy Spirit present right now. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, Colossians 1.27, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is not just welcoming you into his presence. He is in our presence. He is in your presence continually, and he will be there forever for neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come will be able to ever separate us from the love of Christ from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 13, 5 says, He will never leave us nor forsake us. These are the promises of God. And then this, and this is the one that humbles me the most, is the reality that God even delights in our presence, and he created us that we would come into his presence. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, into the fellowship, into the constant fellowship, into the constant relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, God's promises are personal. God delivers his promises personally. He does not airmail them to you. When you make a promise to someone, what follows after it is your presence, it is your actions, it is your follow-through that brings weight to the very promises that you've delivered. When I, 
married my wonderful, beautiful, gracious wife. I made a pledge to her. I made a vow to her. I made promises to her. But what makes those promises meaningful is how we strive day after day in the strength of the Lord to actually follow through and show up every once in a while. Imagine making those vows and saying, well, here's, your, here's the keys to your address and here's the keys to mine. Have a wonderful life. Of course not. I want to be very sensitive and gracious about this, but some of you have a, a little bit of resistance to the constant presence and love of God in your life because someone in authority over you perhaps made promises to you. And just by the very nature of who they were, are and who they were supposed to be ought to have been present, and they weren't. see, our strength is found in the presence of God. And this Father won't leave us, and this God won't forsake us. This is where our strength has to be found over and over and over again. And you may say, God, well, where is he? Listen, we hear God speak to us in his word. And God listens when we pray back to him. And as we come to his word, what do we read? We read this. You're hearing him say, yes. Yes, in Jesus Christ, yes. When we pray, what are we saying? Oh, Lord God, yes. Yes, I hear your voice. Yes, God, I'm in your word. Yes, I delight in your presence. When we come to worship, we're coming into the presence of God, for he inhabits the praises of his people. And here we are. If you're struggling in your relationship with God, and you're seeking to find God's presence, what I want you to recognize today, Christian, is that God has not moved and God has not left. Come into his presence, bow. Better yet, submit to his presence, which is already there. Seems so simple to say, read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. When you graduate past that and you give that a real try and it doesn't work, we could move on from that Sunday school song. But until then, I think it's when we ought to sing. Moses found strength in God's presence and so should we. Moses found strength in God's presence and so should we. Look at verse three. The God of, he the, God of the Hebrews met with us. Now come on, please. Please let us go three days journey. What we want to do is go out in the wilderness and just worship our God. Let us go. You see, he found strength in God's presence, but you know what else? He found motivation in God's accountability. Look, he knew that God not only kept his promises, but God was also going to follow through on his word. Lest we fall, unless he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Moses is following through in faithfulness today because he'd seen the justice of God the day before or the passage before. And so he knew what hung in the balance. He was faithful to a just God which leads us to the next point. You see, we find our strength in the promises of God when we realize that God's promise is personal, point one. But we also find our strength in God's promises when we realize that God's promises are persistent. God's promises are persistent. I don't know, part of me wants to have you raise your hand, another part of me does not. Perhaps in the, 
you can raise the hand of your heart. How many of you, based on circumstances, have questioned God's promises in your life from time to time? I thought it was going to go this way. I thought I heard God super clear. I thought for sure this is the way I was supposed to go. I thought by now I'd have. I thought we would have seen. Fill in the blank. This is where Moses is for sure. What's so fascinating is God has called Moses. God has already promised Moses clearly, audibly, out of a burning bush, mind you. God has already purified him, and his presence there had to have been so incredibly heavy. He's already warned Moses about, about how it's all going to go down, saying, what did he say? I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, right? So verse 4 should not be a surprise. Why, why is bad news, even when we're warned of it, always a surprise? Look at verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Come on, man. You're coming in here, 80, with your staff, wanting to take your people on a vacay? It's not going to happen. Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest for their burdens? You understand how many people you want to take off the job site for three days? You know how much money that's going to cost me? Pharaoh said, Behold, people of Israel are many, and you want to make them rest from your burdens? You're crazy. Now watch this. The same day, the same day, the same day, Pharaoh is not happy. You're going to come waltzing into my house making these kind of demands i gotta send a message and i'm going to send a message now the word the same day means we're not messing around so the king of egypt said to them moses and aaron why do you take the people away from their work same day verse six same day pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen by the way just the term taskmasters that tell you something about the hierarchy of egypt how would you like that term at work tomorrow? Take it up with your taskmaster. Sweet. <laughs> like, I got one. It's all good. He said, no, it's his name. But we call never mind. Keep going. <laughs> taskmaster and the people to form him. Watch, 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 watch what Pharaoh does. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. That's a bad day, as in the past. Nope, no more straw. Let them go and gather their own straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they are going to make in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. They are lazy. They are unwilling to work. Therefore, therefore they're going to cry out in their laziness, let us go make an offer of sacrifice to God. Come on, let heavier work be laid on the men. If they have time to whine, they have time to work. Yikes. The heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it. And listen, pay no attention to their snotty, whiny, lying words. Work. Boom. Well, that's not going as Moses thought. Maybe Moses, what do you think Moses may have thought? 
He was going to say initially no, and then he was going to come right back around and say yes. What's fascinating to me in all of this is God has already warned them that this was going to happen. God has already promised, and so you would think, you would think, you would think, what would be your next course of action? God has called you, God has promised you, God has motivated you, God has directed you, God has been in charge from the very beginning. All in favor of going back to that prayer meeting and worship service where you got your strength and going back to God and saying, yo, did we hear you right? All in favor of going back and crying out to God, raise your hand. Come on, just raise your hand if you're all in favor of that. Some of you aren't in favor of that. That'll be next week's sermon. But look at what they do. Do they go and cry out to God? Nope. Rather, verse 10, the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, they go through the whole thing, we gotta, we gotta make straw, guys, we gotta make bricks, guys, I'm sorry, no straw today. What do you mean no straw? You can imagine the griping. Got to go get the straw yourself today, guys. Get the straw ourselves. What are you talking about? And so the people were scattered throughout the land, verse 12, to go gather stubble of straw. The taskmasters then were urgent, saying, come on, complete your work. You got to get it done, guys. I'm telling you, he's serious about this. Go get the straw and let's go. Now watch this, verse 14. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh set as taskmasters, had set over them, were beaten and they were asked, why have you not done all of your tasks? of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past. And you would think they would be crying out to God right now, verse 15. And then the foreman of the people of Israel, they came, and who did they cry to? Did they cry out to God? What's the next thing? They cried out to, raise up your voice, who? Who did they cry out to? They cried out to Pharaoh. What I want you to catch is how foolish this is and how often you and I are guilty of this same thing. This is like going to get bandaged by the person who just injured you. What I want you to catch is how, how they're kind of whiny and how they're, they're kind of sucking up to Pharaoh here. They're, they're buttering up to him. Watch, watch what they say. And so the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh. They cried to Pharaoh. Why do you treat, look, 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 your servants... Come on. We've been loyal to you. No straw is given to, come on, your, your servants. They say to us, make bricks, and behold, watch, watch, your servants are beaten. They come and they try to play nice with the opposition. They come and try to whine and kind of, How often do we go whining and appealing horizontally and not humbling ourselves and crying out to the God vertically? How often do we think it's within our control? So often we go pouting, picketing, protesting, or just saying, yo, peace out. There's just a lot of peace. There's a way that we just go. while never coming to the Lord who was the one who made the promise to begin with. 
How short-sighted and fickle. How short-sighted and fickle. What promise would have been good for the foreman to hear here? What promise would have been good? Cast all your anxieties on the Lord, for he cares for you. Is it good to make a righteous appeal to an authority? Yes. Is it okay to go to Pharaoh or said boss and say, hey, we think these things are unfair. Would you consider? Yes. But would you do that without first going to the God who promises to give you the peace and the strength to do it? How often do we do that? What the foremen were doing wasn't wrong, but they were certainly doing it out of order, and they were believing that they were persuasive enough to convince him. And then how do you think this next line is going? And by the way, it's all your fault. Your boss love hearing that? But the fault is in your own people, Pharaoh. Um... Pull out your how's it going meter. Just do this for me. Just come on. You got you to just be with me on this because you, you know, don't fade on me. You got to stay. You got to stay with. Like, how's this going right now? Like, how's Pharaoh's response going to be? Like, he's going to be like super, super cool. Like, oh, you guys are so right. I just missed this all along. Or like, yo, get back to work. Come on, come show me, show me, show me. Yeah, they're back to work. And you're all like, you already knew that answer. You're just trying to, yes, I am. But he said, you are, you're idle. You're lazy. You're lazy. That is why you say, let go of the sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. Pharaoh has no problem repeating himself. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble, you think? When they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. What happens? Exactly what God says is going to happen. I told you I was gonna, his heart was going to be hardened. I told you he was going to say no. And here you still go back making your appeal. It makes no sense. And some of you, you might be like, you may be feeling okay right now because you got a little bit of a pass because you're like, well, Pastor Jerry, it's just the foreman. It's the foreman. It's not Moses and it's not Aaron, right? So the, the foremen are merely those who are kind of appointed over. It was Moses who God directly spoke with. Uh, that's true, but here's the problem. And somewhat, it actually makes it a little bit worse when you read verse 20 and it says this. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. Catch it. <laughs> Moses and Aaron are in on it and they're outside the door. Oh, what do you think is going on in there? Oh, man. Oh, these people seriously want to string us up. I really hope this conversation goes well. If this conversation doesn't go well, Aaron, you're the one who spoke. This is what I was worried about all along. Ever been there? So confident, so confident, so confident, things aren't going your way, and all of a sudden, like the bottom's falling out. God has abandoned us. He's not coming through. Like, hello? God already said you shouldn't be surprised when you face trials. God already has warned us that we're going to face opposition. But somehow or another, we think that we are exempt. They're hoping for a good report, trust me. How quickly Moses is hoping for 
and finding his strength all of a sudden in men, hoping these foremen can be persuasive. Verse 20, But they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, they said to them, watch, watch, watch. They, here's what the foreman have to say to Moses. He's like, and the Lord, the Lord look on you and judge you because you made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Okay, so first thought was this. What are we in second grade? You made us stink? Like, could you not have gotten, like, could there not have been a better adjective there? Nevertheless, you made us stink. Like, we are a stench to this guy now. Moses, this is all your fault. You're the reason. We're going to lose our lives because of you, Moses. How are you responding if you're Moses right now? Certainly Moses, the hero, the one called from the bush. Certainly Moses, the one who was purified by God just the passage before. Certainly this Moses, the one who was directly in the Lord's presence, is going to just bow to his knees right now and ask the Lord to intervene. Surely that is what he would do. Surely that's what you'll do the next time, right? Moses turned to the Lord, which, by the way, that's bold in and of itself. Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Have you ever shaken your fist at God? Have you ever walked out of a worship service with strength and courage, ready to prevail? Something happens. Evil? Why have you done evil? Why have you been oppressive towards? Why have you let heavy and hurtful things happen to this people? This people? Just stop and think about the audacity of that sentence alone. This people. You mean my people? You mean my chosen people, Moses? God, why have you done this? Father, why haven't you kept your word? Have you ever had a moment of disappointment with God? Have you ever had a moment that just didn't make sense? Have you ever cried out something you wish you could take back? Do we do recognize that in this moment Moses is worthy of any judgment God would bring? Would you recognize that in this moment Moses has not much differently than Pharaoh disregarded his God? Doubted his God. Disobeyed his God. 
Oh, what will God do? In this moment, if you were God, what would you do? Oh, grace that we are not God. Oh, grace that he does not respond in the way that we respond. Oh, grace that God is merciful. Oh, grace. Oh, grace that he sent Jesus Christ to this earth. Praise God that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Praise God for that. Have you ever believed that you heard the voice of God all for it all to fall apart, all for, for people to turn their back on you as you seek to please him? Then you need to be reminded of this promise as does Moses. Listen, don't grow weary in doing good. God is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. But listen, listen. Galatians 6, 9, in due season you will reap a reward if you do not give up. Maybe today you need to hear as Moses needs to hear that we should consider these present sufferings as nothing in compared to the glory that is to come. Listen, God's promises, God's promises are personal. God's promises are persistent. He will keep his promises regardless of the circumstances and regardless of how things look. Thirdly, God's promises are permanent. God's promises are permanent are permanent. What God says, God will do. You don't have to worry about God pulling a mulligan or pulling them back. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord says to Moses, now, you done? You done? Now. Like seriously, Moses is having a real pity party right now. It's almost as if God lets him just tire himself out. You done? All right, now. Now that you're done, you, you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will deliver them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to them, I am the Lord. Listen, my promises are permanent. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the past, and I appeared to them as God Almighty, God of strength. But remember how I came to you, Moses. I came to you as the Lord. I introduced myself to you as I am. I have been, I am, and I always will be. I will do it. That's my name to you. Trust me, they knew the name Lord. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew him as Lord, but they didn't know him experientially like Moses is having the privilege to. The Old Testament saints don't know the Lord, the presence of Christ, the way that you and I do. All the applications of this passage are all the more presented to us in Christ because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Listen, I also established my covenant with them. I'm going to give them the land. Verse 5, moreover, I heard the groanings of the people. I heard, I heard, I heard. I know that they've been slaves. I've remembered my covenant. Verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring them up out under their burdens. I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people. I'm going to lay down the smack. I'm telling you, it's coming. And when that happens, uh, you will be my people, and there will be no mistake. I will. How many times? Go back on your own account how many times he says, I will. 
I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And so Moses then went back to the people of Israel. But listen, listen, watch, watch. They did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Oh, how hard it is to respond to the call of God when you're living in the pride of misery. We deserve better. We deserve better. We deserve better. Oh, how that silences the call of God. God instructs Moses. So the Lord said to Moses, however the people responded, go tell it to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How in the world is Pharaoh going to listen to me? People you're promising to save won't even listen to me. You want to go back to Pharaoh again? Listen, I am a man of unclean lips, of uncircumcised lips. But God spoke to Moses and Aaron, and he gave them a charge. I love this. Like, God gives them a charge. He gives them a pep talk. Come on, get up. March your butt back out in front of those people. Now get up and get in front of Pharaoh and do what I asked you to do. You had a talk like that from the Lord recently? I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Say it's going to happen. Why? Because we know God's promises are powerful, point four. This is our conclusion, point four. God's promises are powerful. What happens next in the passage is Moses gives us a genealogy that kind of substantiates his calling. Then he gets back to the narrative in chapter seven, verse one. Take a look at it with me. Chapter seven, verse one. And so Moses, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like a God to Pharaoh. Say, What? Yeah, basically what he's saying is he's going to know that you're from me. He considers himself a God, so in his depraved mind, if you're greater than him, then you got to be a God. Watch how this is going to go down. And the Lord said to Moses, I've made you like a God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, your brother, he shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I commanded you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. It's going to happen. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. I'm telling you, it's going to happen again. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and I will bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And so Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And now Moses was 80 years old. And Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Just stop and get your hands around this. How is it that two octarians are going to once again walk again into the presence of the most powerful young man in all of the earth and see the people be freed? How's it going to happen? It's not. They're going to obediently go back into the presence of Pharaoh 
but their words in and of themselves have as much weight as the foreman's words. They're not going to make this happen. That was already tried earlier in the text. How many times do we see God will, God will, God will, I will harden his heart, God will. They didn't do it, God did. God did it then, and God will do it now. How do we know? Because in Christ Jesus, all of God's promises are yes and amen to us. Friends, do you see it? Do you see the imagery again? Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus said this to his disciples. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of who? In the law of, say, Moses. Everything written about me in the, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Has God not also promised to deliver us as sojourners out of this land? Has God not also told us that things are going to get worse before they get better? Has God not also defeated the enemy by his outstretched arm? Come on, church. Has God not already defeated our enemy with his outstretched arms? Has our God not also called us on mission to go before kings and before rulers and before those who otherwise wouldn't listen to us to declare that our God is going to redeem this earth and call us out? How crazy are we? How crazy was Moses? This is the joy of this text. We are illustratively speaking Moses before our world and the same God who will do it for Moses promises also to do it for us and so today we have to ask ourselves what is the promise what is the promise that God has made to us therefore we are ambassadors for Christ Jesus hear this as if God was making his appeal through us. Sound familiar? What is God proclaiming through us? Be reconciled to God. Friends, God has not, has not God also promised us our own spiritual exodus? He has. The troubles of this present day, they will be gone. Whatever you're going through today, I promise you, it won't last forever. And so today, my question for you is this. Have you received God's promises personally? Do you recognize that they're persistent, that despite your circumstances, what your flesh is telling you, what your mind is telling you, when you're hearing give up, God is saying no, yes and amen, I am here. Don't throw in the tile. Try one more time. Forgive. Press in. Because my promises are permanent. I am not moving. And they are powerful. And so today I ask you, what is the promise that you need to press into the Lord concerning? Maybe you need wisdom today. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. It's God's promise to you. 
Maybe some of you in this room, maybe, maybe this. God promises that you, you through his strength, can resist the devil. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will, he will, he will flee from you. Maybe today you know you are trapped in sin and I'm telling you, God has promised to forgive. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise from God. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe you come from a tradition where you have to earn salvation. That is not God's promise. God's promise is this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 9, we will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses. Maybe you need freedom today. God's promise is this, John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free. You want to know if God hears your prayers? God promises to, Mark eleven twenty four. Come on, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you will receive it. It will be yours within God's will. Provision, maybe you need provision today. God will supply every one of your needs according to his riches and glory. In Christ Jesus, maybe you need a promise of good today. Is God really good? Yes, he promises to be good. And know that those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Maybe it's peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, and the peace of God, which is beyond our human comprehension. Maybe you need healing. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he commits his sins, they will be forgiven. God heals on this earth and ultimately he heals in heaven, but God heals for sure. Maybe today you just need to be reminded of the promise of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have, this is the promise, eternal life. What's your promise 